Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's episode, I share some lessons learned from a short sabbatical, especially on the topic of pressure and release. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Hi everyone, I'm Lynn Reardon, the host of the podcast and head coach at Horsewise. I've been taking a little break from the podcast and I thought it would be fun to share with you exactly why I did that. And it was actually inspired by a previous guest we had on the podcast in kind of toward the end of January, early February, and that was with Alicia Landman. And Alicia talked about how she was going to take a sabbatical that she loved, of course, working with her clients and with her training horses and teaching and all of the things that, that she did in her horsemanship business, but that she was really feeling almost a sense of kind of fatigue and stress at even things that she loved to do. And she felt like it was time to maybe just take a little pause and focus very narrowly on certain things. So she devoted the month of February to spending time with her young horses and focusing in on some of her own maybe growth needs as a horsewoman and as a teacher and as a trainer. And it worked out really great. We had an interview with her in our Horsewise Scholars podcast study group, and she reported back that it was just a really great experience for her to take this sabbatical, to take this time to study, and to also maybe recharge her battery a little bit. So I kind of took that to heart, even though our interview originally was in February and it took me a while to sort of act on that. But as the kind of the months passed along and things got so super busy at Horsewise and also at Lope, the charity that I run, I was like, hey, you know, it's time for me to take a little pause. So I did. I took a few weeks off from the podcast. And one of the things that I really wanted to study was this idea of in horsemanship, how we're often taught about pressure and release, right? So we essentially say to the horse, here's pressure in order to, you know, learn and earn the release, you're going to have to respond to this pressure in a certain way. And that's not a negative thing. That's not a negative training approach. It's one of the principles of good foundation horsemanship, right? We all hear pressure and release. But one of the things that got me thinking was that if you really want to learn something on a deep level, now switching back to kind of the human perspective, let's say you decided you wanted to get in better physical fitness shape and you chose a goal of running a marathon. And this is kind of a long-term goal, of course, right? And there's two ways that you could approach this. The first way could be where you look at that and you go, I hate how my body looks and how I feel physically. I'm a slob. Maybe I'm not quite the right weight that I think is the ideal weight for me. I'm not easily able to train. I'm out of breath. I'm just kind of a mess. And you sort of berate yourself into that goal. So the only way that I can feel better about myself is if I could eradicate this lack of physical fitness that I have. So I'm going to go after this goal and I'm going to run a marathon so that I'm not sort of a disgusting slob. You know, I'm making this up, obviously. It's not how I feel about myself, but let's just say that that was one motivation that you could approach it with. The other way you could do it is you could say, hey, I would like to get physically more fit. I've 
kind of slipped off from maybe where I used to be a few years ago. And I like how it feels when I'm more physically fit. I feel healthier. I have more energy. I really enjoy my life more. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to set this goal of running a marathon. And I'm because I want to do some other things in my life that, you know, require energy, and this will help me get there. So I'm moving toward, in that case, a positive vision. I'm not saying, oh, I suck. I'm awful. I have to go do this thing so that I can feel better about myself. Instead, you set the goal more for a positive. It's like, hey, it's understandable. You know, maybe the last year or so, I put on more weight. A lot of people in the world put on more weight than we expected to maybe last year in 2020. And I'm going to kind of take this as a positive, a, a good motivation that I would like to get back into physical shape again. And I'd like to run a marathon because I have this positive vision for what I want to do with that. And not, and good for me. Like I applaud myself for going after this goal. It's going to be awesome. And I can't wait to get started, even though I know I'm going to be tired a lot during the process. Now, some people would say, well, what's the difference? Which way you approach it? I mean, sure, one's maybe a little more cheerful and less hard on yourself, but isn't the point to achieve the goal to run the marathon and to get physically fit. And if it, if it takes kind of being hard on yourself, why not do that? The reason lies in how people really do accomplish truly bigger, long lasting goals. So you really can't berate yourself and sort of belittle yourself and pressure yourself into long-term change. You can certainly do it for short-term tactical change. And yeah, you might run that marathon and you might get that done. But the odds are that you won't particularly like the process and you won't embrace the change afterwards. But if you do it from a more positive perspective where you're like, yeah, I'd like to get in shape, but that doesn't mean I suck and I'm the worst person ever. You know, like again, three quarters of the people on the planet last year, you know, maybe weren't in as good shape as they could have been. So good for me for getting started on this path. That mindset, that approach will allow you to embrace the new goal with a lot more gusto and without the cost of every time you don't maybe hit the perfect time that day in your training run, you falling into this kind of habit again of berating yourself. So there's just a big difference. Like the second motivation, the more positive motivation, you might actually enjoy, of course, the process more and you might enjoy the race more and you'd be more likely probably to keep up with running or with whatever your next fitness goal is from a, a long-term perspective because you've incorporated this positive version of the future and of your future self into that goal. And that's just how long-term change happens. It's a, more, it's a more strategic way of looking at the entire process. So I was thinking about that principle from the point of horsemanship and pressure and release. And what occurred to me was that when I would, let's say, be asking for a hindquarter yield or a flexion, or even a movement, let's say like a, a leg yield under saddle, that I would often be sort of setting up the pressure, right? And asking for the horse to move away from that pressure into the shape or the movement that I was asking for. And as soon as they did, I would release or soften in some way that was meaningful to that particular horse. But what got me thinking is, well, what if, sure, you're going to set the pressure up, but instead of, oh, they just go off the pressure, you think about 
that they're actually going to a destination of softness where the release is. And I know this sounds a little subtle, but just sort of bear with me. I got a, a great illustration to share with you in a minute that'll make it hopefully a little more clear, unless maybe being kind of weird from my sabbatical time. So, um, but just kind of think about it. It's, it is again, like the example of, I'm not just setting this goal to run a marathon because I hate myself and I don't look right and I'm out of shape and I'm disgusted with myself. You're setting the goal from, hey, I'd like to improve something and I want to go toward this future that is a little more positive because I have this long-term goal about it and that requires that I make some changes, but they're very positive. So in the case of, let's say, asking the horse for a leg yield, instead of just, I'm applying pressure and you move away from it into the movement, it would be this idea that I set up the request, which is a form of pressure, of course, but the idea that the release from that pressure isn't just that, oh, you moved and now I don't ask you anything anymore. It's more that you go into the movement and we're together in that movement and there's a softness there between us, uh, a kind of a peace and a centering that is both uh, an aid and it's also maybe a tone that you're setting with your body and your breathing so that that horse really feels the difference. That is something that the horse will actually seek out. So horses by nature will move away from pressure, but if you can set it up that, that the release or the reward for going into the movement that you've requested with the pressure, if that is going to a place that feels soft and good and balanced to the horse, they will seek that out so much faster instead of just moving off the pressure to get away from it. So they have to kind of go into something that is welcoming, that's something that they want. Now, if you're a good horse person, you're setting them up, of course, for movements that will help them be more centered and balanced, helping them bend, helping them flex laterally and longitudinally, helping them kind of gather and learn how to collect properly. These are all things that, of course, ultimately help the horses feel better because it helps set them up for better movement. But instead of this sort of rigid thing, the sort of rigid position that you want the horse to be in while they move, at the beginning when you're teaching the horse about these movements, it's really nice, I think, to have in mind that the goal is not just to get away from your pressure, but to come into the softness and the partnership that happens when you are together in the movement as one unit. And so here comes my fun illustration that I think most people can relate to pretty easily. So earlier this year and throughout the summer, I've been working occasionally with a horse who has a lot of tension about being bridled. And so when you go to bridle this particular horse, he will, he will kind of want to move his head around quite a bit, or he'll, instead of opening his mouth kind of quietly for the bit, he'll kind of want to bite the bit or whatever it is. And it takes some time, you know, just sort of waiting on him. And there is a form of pressure involved in that I don't want to just put the bridle on any old way. I want his head to be down. I want him to have his nose a little to me. And I want him to kind of open and relax his mouth as I then lift the bit in. So I don't want to just kind of shove it in any old way. Now I could do that. I could bridle him that way. And certainly that's how he's been bridled in the past. People would just work around it. But I really wanted it to be better for him and for the person who would be bridling him, which in which case was me right now. So I'd had this whole 
approach to it, which was maybe the classic that you are, okay, the head kind of has to be down and, you know, I want this certain position, you know, with his nose and I want this and I want that. And he can't, he can't kind of turn away. There's going to be, he'll kind of bump into my thumb or whatever it is. And my perspective while I was bridling him every time was that this is an issue that needs to be fixed. This is something that I want to correct, that needs to change for the better. And that was sort of my perspective, my tone as I would be working with the horse. And then I got to thinking about this idea of not just going away from pressure, but going into something softer. And the next time I went out to bridle that horse, when I lifted the bridle to him, he'd lowered his head, but he wasn't super excited about the whole bridling process. So if you can kind of picture that, he'd lowered his head. He was waiting for me to start putting the bit into his mouth, but he wasn't super relaxed about it. It was just in his mind, you could tell the start of this process that we always do until finally he gets bridled, right? So as I got into that position and I had him kind of close to me, right? We're kind of close to my work. My hands are close to his head and we're in that position, that class of position of bridling. And I thought about, I would like him to feel like when he lowers his head and turns his nose to me and opens his mouth for the bit, that it's as if he's coming into a hug. Not that I'm actually hugging him. This is more of like a theoretical hug. So with this idea of he's going to come to a place that's kind of soft and it's welcoming. And I just was sort of thinking about that as I got into my usual position. And instead of him doing what he typically would do, which would be to start to bob his head or to maybe kind of push down into the bit or kind of nip at the bit, he just got quiet. And so I just kind of kept thinking of this idea that when he lowered his head and opened his mouth for the bit, it would be as though we were coming into a really nice sort of soft place together. And then he yawned and he dropped his head lower and he very softly accepted the bit. And I finished bridling him and I was like, wow, that was a big change. And what did I actually do different technically was I did nothing different. I had my hands in the usual position. I was going through the usual process of bridling, but I changed my thought about what I wanted him to do, which was not so much just like ricochet off my hands and take the bit and, you know, be less spastic about it, but more like, I'd like you to kind of come into this quiet place with me that in my mind, like I said, I use the idea of a hug, you know, that, 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 that would be as he accepted the bit, that there would be this kind of warm feeling between us and that it was a soft place that it wasn't just like, Oh, finally you took the bit like a normal horse. Now let's get on with the ride that there would be this sort of sense of, Oh, this was a really nice thing that we could do together. And you know, he felt that and he responded to it. And it was not just some delusional, I'm thinking of a happy place and, and it all falls into place. I was really concentrating on how I maybe relaxed my shoulders at the same time. Maybe instead of being t- 
tight in my shoulders, kind of expecting that he was going to bob his head or whatever, being relaxed as I was asking, all these little things, that that contributed to the picture in my mind of this being a very soft place that he was coming to rather than just let's get on with the bridling in a more, I guess what you would say again, tactical way. And he really felt that, which is pretty cool and is pretty practical too, both together. Because while that horse occasionally still has small issues with bridling, they smooth out pretty quickly if I continue to approach it with that kind of tone in terms of my physical presence. And of course, I don't mind that it takes a while if he needs a little extra time to maybe be thoughtful about bridling. And it just, it removed a lot of the tension, which in a way I had been creating with my concept that he needed to figure out that the way to get away from pressure was to accept the bit and be bridled, quote, like a normal horse, instead of this other idea of this is the start of our soft ride together. So the practicality of it was really something that struck me. And it also struck me about other horses that I was working with, with other issues. And it's been quite the game changer for me. It's changed my perspective a lot, not only with the horses that I work with, but also with the people that I work with too. So many times people will come and they want to change something about their riding or about their horsemanship. And it'll be with this idea of, I have to fix something that I do wrong all the time. Or they'll have that perspective toward their horse. I love my horse, but he never does this movement right. He can't do lateral movements. We need to fix that. Or we need to fix that he's spooky or that he balks a lot. We have to fix that. We have to fix that. And I'm just just suggesting that there's maybe a different way to approach it where you're still, of course, going to set appropriate boundaries and use classical aids. We're not talking about changing all of that up and, you know, using pictographs or something, you know, for the horse, but where you have this different approach mentally to it, just like, again, the marathon training, you know, I hate myself and I suck and that's why I want to do it versus I have this positive vision for what I want to do in the future. And this is part of the process there. When you do that, both you and your horse learn so much more easily and you have so much more fun doing it. And also it just removes a lot of the tension that can come with a growth and change process. Our state of mind, how we think about what we do with our horse while we're doing it is key to the process of how we and our horses learn together, both as a riding team, but also individually as athletes and to some degree as friends, right? Most of the people I know who are interested in this kind of horsemanship, like I am, they see the horses as their friends, friends that we sometimes set boundaries with, friends that we have a very structured relationship with, of course, but still friends first, always. And this mindset work or this, how we picture what we want to accomplish with our horse and accomplish together turns out, I think, to be a very important element that sometimes gets overlooked in traditional training and instruction. Over the next few weeks, I'll be talking more about the lessons I learned during my miniature sabbatical from the podcast, and I'm looking forward to sharing all of those with you. I promise not to go so long between podcast episodes again. I've missed talking to all of you. It's sort of my 
verbal diary of sort of my horsemanship journey. And uh, it's great to be back on the podcast on a regular schedule. If you want more information on the podcast and how to study it more closely, you can check out our podcast study group at horsewisecoach.com scholars. And as always, I thank you for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.